Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Lancet Microbe in Conversation. I'm Rebecca Barksby, a senior editor at The Journal. It's November 2023, and today I'm talking to Professor Kate Baker. Professor Baker is a veterinary trained researcher who works on the genomic surveillance of bacterial pathogens and antimicrobial resistance. Professor Baker's research is conducted at the University of Cambridge in the UK, and her projects include using microbial genomics to monitor pathogens, identify biomarkers to predict clinical disease outcomes and the spread of AMR, and to design better vaccines and therapeutics. She also has an interest in the implementation of genomic surveillance in public health laboratories, which brings us to the focus of today's podcast, a series published in The Lancet Microbe entitled Harnessing Genomics for Antimicrobial Resistance Surveillance. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are already aware, but I'd like to start off by asking you, what is genomic surveillance and how is it useful for AMR? Thanks, Rebecca. So genomic surveillance typically refers to when we use whole genome sequencing of pathogen isolates, uh, which then gives us a really high resolution subtyping tool. So previously, we might have used biochemical or serological bench tests in the lab or molecular markers for subtyping of pathogens. But now we can take that a step further and get an even finer resolution by conducting genome sequencing to differentiate between individual isolates right down to the individual nucleotide level. And what that allows us to do is detect outbreaks with a greater sensitivity. So this is the, the technology that allowed us to detect those new variants of COVID that we all heard so much about in the news, like alpha, beta, and delta. But compared with COVID-19 surveillance, actually, genomics has the potential to transform AM, AMR surveillance, antimicrobial resistance surveillance, even more. And that's for a few different reasons. So first of all, the genomes for our antimicrobial resistance pathogens tend to be a lot more variable because they're bigger. So the E. coli genome is about 150 times the size of a SARS coronavirus 2 genome. So we get a lot more variability with which to detect our chains of transmission. In addition to that, though, it can also give us the information on what the genetic basis of resistance for is. And that can be really helpful for outbreak linkage. And it can also help us differentiate between whether or not a new antimicrobial resistance strain has evolved from a pre-existing strain, or whether or not it's come in to the population anew or even if the actual antimicrobial resistance gene has spread horizontally between bacterial pathogens. Because these antimicrobial resistance genes move around a lot on things like plasmids and other mobile genetic elements. And that's particularly in hospital settings where so much of the antimicrobial resistance challenge lies. And as well as the ability to better track the pathogens akin to other surveillance systems, the richness of the genomic data we get out from genomic surveillance gives us a lot more that we can do for controlling antimicrobial resistance. So at a clinical level, we can use the data to potentially predict antimicrobial susceptibility and informed patient treatment. And then at a public health level, we can also use the data to do things like um, design better vaccines and therapeutics. Great. So with that generic background, we can dive into the series. So for listeners who might not be familiar with the Lancet series, a series is a collection of papers that take an in-depth look at a specific topic. And this series on genomics for antimicrobial resistance surveillance is a five-paper series that is authored on behalf of the Cedric Genomics Surveillance Working Group. Kate, could you tell us a bit about this working group and describe how the series came about? Yeah, absolutely. So the group was really spearheaded by Professor Sharon Peacock, who had worked on genomic surveillance of AMR pathogens within her research for, for many years. 
And she was also responsible for starting and running the COVID-19 Genomics Consortium of the UK or COG UK, which many of the listeners may have heard of. And that had a really direct feed into policy. And we all saw that with the rise in response to the variants of concern. Now, at the time, Sharon and Professor Nick Feezy were also chairs of, of the CEDRIC group, which is an international think tank funded out of Wellcome. So CEDRIC stands for the Surveillance and Epidemiology of Drug-Resistant Infections Consortium. And so what they did over the course of the pandemic was say, we need to have these conversations about AMR. It's time to consolidate the evidence about genomic surveillance and what it could do for antimicrobial resistance. So they then recruited myself and Dr. Alina Hlanakaita at Imperial College London to run the working group. And we made a really conscious decision to try and uh, capture the breadth of the challenge of AMR, talking through the issue from the scale of the hospital environment, all the way up to the needs for surveillance across One Health and what was going to lie ahead for genomic surveillance of AMR in terms of innovation. And in terms of how we came to be thinking about it as a series, it was only really once we'd concluded the formal meetings of the working group that we realized that there was just too much to capture in a single paper. Uh, but at the same time, it was really important to highlight that these different spheres of surveillance, these different kind of scales, had both distinct problems that needed addressing as well as common threads that we could tackle together. And so the series format is just perfect for that kind of um, communication, I think. Yeah, you mentioned that there was too much to capture in a single paper. The series is actually made up of five papers. So could you just take us through the theme of each of those papers? Absolutely. So the first paper is an overview of the working group as a whole. And for those who are interested in embarking on similar approaches, it's got a lot of nuts and bolts actually of how we ran the group, including who we involved and why. We really wanted to focus with a large geographical breadth in this study. Cedric's a very international consortium. And it also has the details of the series of tiered workshops that we ran and how we structured the discussions. You can actually find the agendas of the meetings tucked into the supplementary material. And then the subsequent papers are essentially meeting reports from each of those workshops we held. And each of the um, subsequent papers starts with an evidence review of the use of genomic surveillance for AMR at that scale. And then details um, on the recommendations that the group came forward with at the end. So the first paper is really focused on the use of genomics in hospitals to support infection prevention and control. And then the second is focused on aggregate data use at a public health level to inform interventions like vaccines and outbreak response. And then also addresses the challenges that we need to overcome to get cooperation among stakeholders. The third was about surveillance at One Health interfaces, and we specifically decided to use the word interfaces because um, compared with using something like foodborne illnesses that was maybe less descriptive, it didn't reflect the fact that uh, in this very international group, you know, people's relationship with animals and their environment across the One Health spectrum really varied broadly. And so we needed to think about capturing AMR movement across those compartments rather than having a single term. As a final workshop, we wanted to explore what the future of genomic surveillance might look like for AMR, because there's now a lot of movement around uh, moving away from isolate-based detection, so using metagenomic approaches, and also thinking through what the implications for machine learning and artificial intelligence might be for how we can tackle AMR. But just to come back to the first paper, what I really love about um, the dialogue there is that we got to reflect on those common and distinct challenges between them. And then that first paper is also where you can find the nine recommendations from the working group, which will then point you to the different recommendations and where they're elaborated in each paper in the series. So for listeners who are thinking about getting stuck in, definitely visit that first paper to find out where your interests lie. 
So the recommendations are all outlined in that first paper. Um, what were the main recommendations and who were these recommendations aimed at? So I, I won't go over each of them in turn because there's there's nine, but um, through the priority setting within the broader working group and then the kind of sense checking of that by community consultation, we were able to narrow this down to nine main recommendations. And although it's listed as number six in the paper, I think the top one is really improving stakeholder relationships and interactions because it was absolutely clear that, you know, rising to this challenge is going to need a lot of people coming to the table. And the way that we can do that is really by starting with the first recommendation, which is defining how we plan to use this data. So parties uh, within AMR surveillance are going to be reluctant to share their data if we don't know how we're going to use it and what for. And we saw some uh, evidence of that during the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic where there was a lot of stigmatization and reactionary uh, policy making. Um, so we need to improve on that. We also need to get the mechanics of delivery in place. So building ca capacity in the first place, and that's both you know initially getting basic AMR surveillance off the ground and then transitioning over to genomics. And we can also think about pivoting our enormous growth in capacity that we've built during the COVID-19 pandemic for genomic sequencing over to antimicrobial resistance. In order to do this though, we need to develop the workforce to deliver the work and we all need to be speaking the same language. So we need to harmonize and standardize our approaches to tackling this complex issue across pathogens. And I think finally the recommendations are that ultimately, you know, it's a challenging problem, but we need to decide who's going to pay for AMR surveillance. You know, particularly when we talk about it at a one health level, you know, this comes outside of the health budgets. And so we need to be talking about where this money is going to be invested and what for. And continue to push those barriers by looking at those new innovations in genomic surveillance, such as environmental monitoring. In terms of who we aimed the recommendations at that, at, um, we intentionally structured these discussions to make sure that when people put forward ideas of what needed to be done, they weren't able to just leave it adrift. They had to put it into the hands of a stakeholder. And so we included within a pre-populated stakeholder list a number of people, and then people also added to that. So examples include uh, stakeholders within the health system, so hospital and clinical microbiology staff, public health professionals, clinical standards organizations, health policymakers, the academic community, research funders, industry partners, and broader society, all of whom we hope are obviously going to access the series and continue to work with members of the working group to implement the changes that we need. What barriers beyond cost for LMYCs need to be overcome before genomic analyses are more widely adopted? And are there any occasions where a genomic approach might be unnecessary? Yeah, I mean, implementing genomics is hard, right? It's a systems change. Um, it's kind of like going back to the 1980s and inventing PCR again. And the revolution that it's going to cause in molecular diagnostics and surveillance will be of an even bigger scale, actually, because the potential of the data to transform so many aspects of, of infectious disease and, and care is, is much higher. And I think what was really interesting about these discussions was that as we scaled up the problems, as we, as we scaled up from hospital to public health networks to One Health, the problems became even more complex. So at a hospital and infection prevention and control challenge level, there were lots of concerns about pricing models and the workforce requirements, a lot of kind of nuts and bolts. But the responsibility of who that sat with was relatively straightforward because it generally sat within the hospital or the individual health system. But once we moved up to a public health level, the discussion suddenly became all about the interactions between different stakeholders, both within the health system and across different health systems, particularly touching on issues around data sharing. 
and also for the need for research funders to recognize the need for work in the area so that genomics doesn't kind of fall into an implementation gap where the research budget sees it as a health delivery problem and the health systems want the evidence base before they pay to implement it. And then once we move up to a one health level, it becomes even more complex again because your list of stakeholders grows and you are suddenly including a lot of multiple private sector interests like the agricultural industry and the home of where the budget sits for that surveillance and the incentives become less obvious again. I mean, to come to your question about the necessity of a genomics approach, Ultimately, you know, we need to acknowledge that health budgets are limited. Uh, so we need to prepare to be challenged and to challenge ourselves on whether we should always use a genomics approach. As a scientist, you know, it's a tough question because there's no question that genomic data will always add value. You know, these pathogens are constantly evolving. They will always change. And knowing the background is completely vital to observing the change and interpreting it. But I think there are definitely cases where genomic sequencing shouldn't necessarily be the budget priority or perhaps doesn't need to be universally implemented. So for example, I think that there's probably very few people in the world that would argue that we didn't over-sequence COVID-19 during the pandemic and we probably had more information than we needed. And so, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around thinking through intelligent sampling frames for effective surveillance. You know, how many do we need to sequence and how often? And we also need to acknowledge that, you know, these limited budgets mean that we need to prioritize prevention as well. So in settings perhaps where there's not an opportunity to respond or intervene in response to genomic data, the budget might be better spent on, for example, basic infection and prevention control measures rather than spending your money monitoring a situation that's going badly because investments have not been able to be made in the first place. That's a great answer. Very pragmatic approach to genomic surveillance. So one thing that is brought out in the series is the importance of training and lab capacity building, particularly for bioinformatics. Why bioinformatics in particular? I think, you know, the group really did feel strongly that there was this kind of bioinformatics bottleneck in terms of capacity and that part of the issue, particularly in LMICs, is that bioinformaticians were getting trained and then actually they were moving on. And there was a real struggle both to build the the bioinformatics capacity and to retain the workforce. And, you know, I think about this a lot, actually, and I wonder if it's because of the comparatively novel nature of pathogen genome sequencing at scale. So if you think about genome sequencing as a subtyping tool for surveillance, you can reflect on the last 100 years or so that we've had since the early microbe hunters of Robert Koch and Louis Pasteur. You know, since those times, we've invented insane amounts of infrastructure to support those subtyping systems. We've got biobanks of reference strains that operate at an international level. We've got clinical standards organizations that tells us how antimicrobial resistant they are and when. We've got clinical microbiology manuals that support laboratory diagnostics. We've got taxonomy textbooks that, you know, um, are bigger than the typical encyclopedia. And now we're talking about replacing that by, you know, synthesizing and analyzing genome data. And actually compared to the workforce and resources available for doing that traditionally, we've really got very few people who are capable of manipulating and interrogating genomic data. And, And worse than that, the workforce category doesn't even exist. You know, we had a lot of discussions into the group about whether or not it should be that clinical microbiologists get trained in bioinformatics or whether we need a new workforce category of genomic epidemiologists. And what we settled on was the idea that actually what we need is these new workforce competencies. You know, we need the infrastructure and systems to be brought up to date. We need new genomics nomenclature. 
that we can, you know, give things names and pass them on to epidemiologists for tracking. But we also really need to accept that at the moment we're still grappling with what genomic data needs and we're still trying to get those systems in place that can support bacterial subtyping in the ways that we've become really accustomed to in our health systems. You touched on it in an earlier answer saying that the final paper um, looks into the future and innovation. So finally, I'd like to ask, what do you think the future looks like for genomics and AMR surveillance? So I'll I'll answer this in two parts, because I think as far as um, whole genome sequencing of isolate-based surveillance goes, it's looking pretty bright. It's looking relatively straightforward, right? We've got the technologies in place to do this. The data has a wealth of uses for the broader health system. And, you know, on the back of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've really got a lot of political will and public understanding of genomic surveillance that we can work with. And, you know, we hope in the groups that we've now contributed to also creating a clear path for what we need to do as a community to build on this. The second part, in terms of the innovations, we do have a few really exciting things come up that we go through in that last paper. So talking through clinical diagnostics, uh, so metagenomic diagnostics for polymicrobial infections, and also using the data for phenotypic prediction, as well as thinking through how we track AMR. You know, do we track the genes and the plasmids or are we tracking the isolates? And then also, as I touched on earlier, this idea of machine learning and AI and how that fits into using these big data sets to predict the future for AMR. So there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon in the research sphere. And I also think there's a lot of will kind of in the health system to deliver on. So I think it's looking good. Um, I just wanted to comment though. I mean, I'd be happier if we had more clear interventions for AMR because, you know, there's a lot of momentum behind getting surveillance going, which is really the focus of our group. And it's unfortunate that you know, globally, we're in this position that there's not a huge amount we can do about it yet. But I think unless we're tracking it well, using genomics and seeing it at its highest resolution, we're not going to understand the the real drivers behind the emergence of AMR. And that's what really allows us to design those better interventions and also be in a position to evaluate their impact once we implement them. Yeah, it's such a huge issue and surveillance is key to tackling that. I'd like to thank you very much for your time, Professor Baker, and thanks for contributing to the very first series of The Lancet Microbe. Pleasure to be here, thanks. The Harnessing Genomics for Antimicrobial Resistance Surveillance Series was published online on November 14th, 2023, and it rounds off our December 2023 issue. You can read the series at thelancet.com slash series slash AMR hyphen genomics. Thank you for listening. See you in 2024.